Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 503 of the podcast and it is Friday the 14th of August 2020 as I record this. So today I'm talking to the lovely Michael Brent Collings, returning to the show to talk about how to revive a flagging author career. So what happens when you've written award-winning books, you get amazing reviews from readers but your sales still start a downward spiral? You can give up writing or you can take a step back, review your catalogue, figure out a plan and upskill, then reboot your author career. And in this episode, Michael Brent shares how he ended up delivering pizza to support his family. And there's no shame in that. It's just incredible to do anything to support your family because sales had stalled and how then he reinvigorated his author career, taking his book sales income and reader engagement to new heights. It's very inspirational and practical and a good kick in the behind if you need it. (laughs) So Michael Brent is a favourite guest on the show, especially when he talked very openly and honestly about depression, which he lives with and manages his writing life and his family life alongside. And he was one of the people I reached out to earlier in the year when I decided to reboot my own fiction brand as JF Penn. Because I have kept writing fiction over the last decade now, really. But my fiction income has drifted downward, even with more books, as I resisted paid advertising and focused on the far more profitable angle of the nonfiction business. And you know I have multiple streams of income, and I focused on what was basically easier. (laughs) And to be honest, the nonfiction business model is easier than the fiction, in my opinion and my experience. But the pandemic has helped us all rethink our direction. And after Jonathan decided to go get a job, as I've talked about in episode 500, I decided I could let some of my other focuses slide a little. I'm not giving up, as you all know, in order to refocus on my fiction and reboot those income streams. So I've been doing some of the things we talk about in this interview, because we recorded this a little further back. And I've been doing this now since May, so May, June, July, and half of August. And my fiction income is actually 10x what it was, which is exciting. And that probably tells you how low it had gone. (laughs) But it is 10x up, which is brilliant. So I'm intending to share more in detail about exactly what I've been doing. I've been talking about it a bit, you know, doing a lot of the metadata, redoing covers, repositioning rewriting some of the blurbs and then also doing more advertising and I can evaluate what I've been doing on a longer term scale. I'll also be looking at profit towards the end of the year as well as income which of course is far more important. So this discussion is I think super useful. I definitely we both get really honest. We're just honest people so we share with you what's going on. And even if you write nonfiction, the principles definitely apply to any kind of income stream 
based on books or even beyond books, there's definitely more of a process mentality, mindset and mindset mentality. That's yeah, not right. But you know what I mean? It's very much of an attitude shift and a process shift. So I hope you find that useful. So in publishing news this week, Findaway Voices announces that Authors Direct is now out of beta and available to everyone. So Authors Direct is a new direct-to-consumer storefront that enables authors to sell audiobooks to fans around the globe. Listeners purchase their favourite audiobooks from the Authors Direct storefront and listen on a free app available for download on iOS and Android or on a web player. So Authors Direct is not a retailer, it doesn't have any merchandising or promotion, it's not a store in that way. It's more that as authors, we can direct listeners to Authors Direct so they can buy audiobooks and play them in a proper player. And this is the problem. So at the moment, I sell zipped MP3 files through Payhip and obviously someone has to know what to do with zipped files and we include a little document that says what to do. But it does mean that they have to download the zip file, unzip the zips, and then they are in the right order, but they have to get them to their player or whatever. Whereas Authors Direct, I have the app on my phone. It's excellent. It's just like any of the other audio apps. So you can sell your book and it will arrive and it will be in chapters and you can speed it up and you can do all the things that you would normally do on an audio app. So yes, listeners will only find audiobooks from an author's direct marketing efforts. So if you go to my audio page on my websites, you can buy some of my audiobooks direct through Authors Direct or you can buy it from me at Payhip. So you have full control over your price. You can earn 70% royalties on every title, real-time sales reporting, customized branded storefront, and it's available right now in the US, Europe, the UK, Canada, and Australia. So it's not truly global, but those are certainly the biggest markets for authors publishing in English. So yeah, I've been using it for a while, and people are definitely more used to it in the US at the moment. You can use giveaway codes if you do audio promotions. And yeah, I'm definitely, I think it's fantastic. Now, there is a one-time setup fee for the store and you can get started, but it's not massively significant. It is, if you have a number of audiobooks and you're ready to do this and you have an, like an email list or a way to actually tell people about it, this is definitely a great option. So then my personal update I hope you enjoyed the extra in-between episode that I put out as a surprise this week with the conversation between my voice double and Mark Leslie Lefebvre. And yes, please continue to listen and add comments or tweet me at The Creative Pen. I'm fascinated by people's reactions to technology. I'm also back into Tree of Life, which is my next arcane thriller. The pre-order's up. I'm getting that sorted. I'm coming to the end of the first 10,000 words, that wild, exciting phase where everything is possible. (laughs) And I'm really loving doing a lot of character stuff right now. And I'm having a lot of fun fleshing out my research around the background of these characters. And I've got all my settings. I've pretty much got my plot. Um, I I know with my thrillers that it's a genre plot, save the world (laughs) type of thing. But the characters in this one, I'm particularly enjoying. They're very interesting. I'm reading this awesome book right now. It's called Wicked Plants, which is all about plants that can maim, intoxicate and kill you. It's one of the scariest books I've ever read. (laughs) I'm never going in the garden again, but it's just fascinating. We also had a lovely day out this week in Oxford for our wedding anniversary. And it was strangely empty. There were no students or tourists and we were wandering around going, this is very weird. But we go to Oxford for the bookstore and the food. (laughs) So it was fun. 
and we walked in the meadow and Blackwell's in Oxford is a mecca for book lovers. It really is one of my favourite bookstores in the UK. I cannot be in Oxford without going there. I spent most of my student loan in that shop. And if you want to know more about my experience of Oxford, listen to episode 12 of my Books and Travel podcast, where I talk about decadence, discipline and the dreaming spires of my university years. So thanks for all your emails and tweets and comments as usual. Ingmar says on Susie's interview last week, excellent interview. She gave great answers. Everyone dreams of best-selling status. It is not easy, but neither impossible. True, true. Lynette says, I finally finished writing the last chapter of my first novel. I've been listening to the podcast and your tips and the tips of your guests have taken my writing to a level I hadn't thought possible. That's fantastic, Lynette. This is funny from Meg Nordman. True story. I listen to a few minutes of The Creative Pen before I start recording a section of my audiobook because her British accent calms my Southern American accent down. (laughs) And she says, I figured that would make you giggle. (laughs) Joanna, it definitely does. I love that. That's just so funny. Oh, and I wanted to mention Kate Crake. Thank you, Kate, in Australia. She says, happy 500 episodes. My author life has seen many phases and after 10-ish years finally feels on the right track. Throughout the journey, Joanna has been there with generosity and down-to-earth wisdom. Oh, thank you, Kate. I really appreciate that. And Kate also posted a lovely picture of us. I did a day in Brisbane, Australia a couple of years ago now and met Kate and a load of Hello Australian fans and it was a great day. I still remember it very well and things have changed so much since then and yet our writing life remains the thing that keeps developing, keeps changing as we'll talk about in this episode with Michael Brent. You know, you can't rest on the past. You have to keep looking at what you want to do, changing things up but I appreciate you, Kate, and I appreciate everybody who listens to the show and supports the show. Right, so back on Findaway Voices because today's show is sponsored by Findaway Voices. And in fact, the general message with audio is that things are accelerating. So why else is Findaway so fantastic apart from Authors Direct, which is a great perk? The main thing is about going wide with audio because there are more and more possibilities every week right now. It's about making your audiobooks available everywhere there are listeners instead of inside a particular walled garden. Your audio will still be available in the big stores like Audible and Apple Books, but Findaway also enables you to get your audiobook into 43 retailers with more being added all the time, including libraries. So listeners can borrow your book for free and you still get paid. So yes, you can get my books through your local library. Just request them on your library app. You will also be in other stores like Google Play, Storytel, Kobo, Nook, Audio, Scribd, Overdrive, Hoopla. And as I said, 43 retailers and that is expanding all the time. Plus, one of the great things is distribution to Chirp, which is BookBub's audio service, enabling you to easily reach audiobook listeners with your books and advertise finally on your audiobooks direct to listeners. So on Findaway, you get control of your price, unlike some other places which don't let you have control. This is fantastic. You can also set a different price for libraries. You can choose to upload your own files for distribution, or you can use their help to find and match you with a narrator. So I've been using Findaway for a while now and I've just been loading up my files. But with the Mapwalker series, I've been really struggling to decide on a narrator. So I went with Findaway's help for this one. 
All I had to do was fill in some forms about my book preferences. So, for example, I wanted a British female voice. I basically want something like my voice. (laughs) And they sent a whole load of samples for me to listen to. And I found someone I really like. And that is now in the contract phase and will start the process soon. So it's all very exciting. And you guys know I only work with podcast sponsors who I actively use and ethically promote myself. I love Findaway. I really am one of their super fans. And I hope you will take back your audio freedom and check out findawayvoices.com today. So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating this show is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. Thanks to everyone supporting the show on Patreon and thanks to everyone who can continue their pledge at this time. I do appreciate that many of you have had to cut back and it is a really difficult time. And I still appreciate all of you who listen and spread the word about the podcast amongst the writer community. I know there are lots of ways to support the show. Thanks to new and returning patrons this week, Lisa Ortigara Crago, Stephanie King, Katrina Geese Dixon, Jennifer Summersby Young, Thea, Zoe Sadler, CJ Edmonds, and Lisa Coolman. I really appreciate your support on Patreon. It demonstrates you enjoy the show and want it to continue. And of course, you can support the show with a couple of dollars a month, less than a coffee a month, or a bit more if you want to be generous. And I do drink a lot of coffee. (laughs) You'll get the extra monthly Q&A audio, which I'll be doing over the next couple of days, probably. It might even be out already. And you'll also get the backlist plus 10% off my online courses, including your author business plan. You can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview with Michael Brent. Michael Brent Collings is an award-winning and internationally best-selling horror novelist and screenwriter. His novel, The Deep, was a finalist in the Bram Stoker Awards and is one of my favourite horror novels. And Michael Brent has been on the show several times. We've talked about writing with depression as well as writing fast and writing horror. Today, we're talking about something very interesting, which is rebooting your fiction author career. So welcome back, Michael Brent. Thank you. It is always such a pleasure to be here. And I know that's sort of the standard tritism, but I just get such a big smile when I get to hang out with you. Oh, yeah, we have a good time. And I think also part of the reason I have return guests, obviously, we get on. We've never met in person. We get on well. But I also feel like with each return trip, one can be more honest because your personal friendship develops over time as well. So I feel like we're just getting deeper and deeper. Yes, you'll be hearing all about my hemorrhoids today. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so today, (laughs) changing the subject. So we are talking about something really interesting and why I wanted to talk about this to set the scene to people listening. So I reached out to Michael Brent a couple of months ago because I write fiction and I feel like over the last few years, I've let that slide. I've let the writing slide. I've definitely been writing the fiction, but I have not been doing a great job at marketing the fiction and my fiction income as a percentage of my overall income was getting less and less and I needed to pull it back. I was feeling pretty depressed about it, miserable, not depressed, sorry, in a depressed sense. I was miserable about it and I was just like, okay, I need to do something. And I heard you talk about this on, I think, the Six Figure Author podcast, which is fantastic. And so I reached out and you've helped me. So we'll get into that. But let's start with your situation. So a few years back, you had this kind of crisis. So tell us about that time and how your career stalled. Well, it did. I mean, when I say stalled, a lot of people are like slowed down, but I'm talking about you're flying in a World War II prop plane and the engine stops. That's the kind of stall that I was in. 
I was still writing as well, but I had a combination of physical and mental health problems and then changes in the marketplace. Amazon became much more of a pay for play kind of a playground to work in. And all of that combined to make me say, hey, I'm going to join the fast paced and interesting world of pizza delivery. And it was just like I had to pay bills and I had to take a second job, which was my closest thing to having a grown up job in a decade. So it was a really tough time on a lot of levels. And I actually went so far as to say I'm retiring. It wasn't like a woe is me, please pity. I just wanted to kind of let the three or four people that I still thought were out there kind of know I can't do this because I got to take care of my family as my priority. And a couple people reached out and said, no, that's not okay. One of them being you. And I got such terrific help from you as well. And so what I did is I backed off for about two months and I threw myself hard into the study of areas that I'd been missing. So as a result of that, I didn't really reinvent myself, but I certainly tightened up as many of the loose points in my business as I could, because this is a business. If you're an indie, you're a business. You're not only an artist. I don't see myself as an artist at all. I'm just like a guy who makes hamburgers and my franchise, my McDonald's franchise was failing. So I had to back up and figure out why. And since doing that, I've seen a huge increase. I mean, my mailing list alone has gone from a couple of hundred to tens of thousands in the last year. And a lot of that is just due to stepping back and going, what do we need now? It's not the Wild West. I can't just put a book on Amazon and be one of six books and expect to sell it. There's a lot more required now. Mm. So we're going to look at each of these things in more detail. But I think you mentioned they're stepping back and that assessment is really hard. And I certainly, you know, I put myself out there every week on the show and I'm like, oh, I'm meant to know how to do this. And this is really hard. Why is this happening? But also I found as, as I talked to you that I had a lot of self-doubt about even my ability to write. And that perhaps I just wasn't a good enough writer to make it. And it's very hard for me to say this stuff out loud, but I really had that. And I wonder, can you talk a bit about how were you able to be honest with yourself about what was wrong and change the mindset around what you could do, I guess? I think that's a great question. And it really applies to most writers because We've talked, and I think the world of your writing, you're one of the people that like, I've recommended numerous of your works to my friends. I love your map series, so good. And so when you get into something where it's not working the way you want it to, you're not selling or whatever, the first thing that we go to, I say constantly, artists in general and authors in specific are the weirdest mix of narcissism and self-doubt and cripplingly low self-esteem. So when your narcissism is failing you, like we think we've got these wonderful works in us and they're not selling. So we revert to that self-esteem problem. We go, well, it must be my writing. And sometimes, let's be honest, it's a craft and it's a tough one. And you can't just kind of go, well, I'm going to be really good at it. You have to put the time in, but lots of great writers don't make it. And part of that is not their writing. Most of it now is business stuff. It was fairly easy for me to step back once I received encouragement because even I was like, well, my work sucks, so I'm going to do something else. And it was very helpful to have external validation from people who emailed and texted and said, you know, this is not okay. Figure out what you're doing and do it better and keep writing. So that was an important first step. But beyond that, Part of what made it easier was my goal is not to be known as the king of a genre or the best writer in the world. My goal has always been to take care of my family. If I have that kind of an externalized goal, it's less about me. It's me stepping back and going, 
okay, personally, this is just personally the best sort of monetary income potential that I have is through my writing. So what do I need to do better so that I can get my real goal, which is to put food on the table? And it took a lot of the ego out so I could look at my covers and say, yeah, these really are sucky. I mean, I've gotten some feedback and they're not very good. And I could look at the kind of marketing I was doing and going, this is five, six years behind the curve. Everything's different. And then beyond that, I really rediscovered something that's true of authors, I think, is we get to be professionally ignorant. We get to be curious and stupid in a way (laughs) that most adults can't be. So I could sit there and go, wow, what do I need to learn? And instead of being depressed, I found all these great courses and so many free things on YouTube. You know, you can sit there and go, fantasy book cover, how to make one on Photoshop. And there's 8,000 different videos pop up and some are helpful and some aren't, but I was able to dive into this fascinating world of things that I don't know. And to date, I mean, I'm doing this podcast and after this, I'm going to go shoot a funny little book commercial because that's what I do for all my releases and I have an upcoming release. And I never would have thought of doing that or been able to do it six months ago. And I'm tickled pink that I'm going to go and put up a green screen and shoot video and put backgrounds and do all the fun stuff. So I guess the threefold thing for being able to step back is having a support group that says, no, you don't suck, and being people you believe, and then taking your ego out of it by having an external goal if possible. If your goal is to feel good all the time and sell books all the time, you're screwed. It just doesn't happen. And the third thing is to be excited rather than to say, I'm a failure, say, I am so happy to be ignorant in this exciting field that I can now discover. And those three things really help pull me through. Mm, That's great, actually. And in my head, I can see your old cover for The Deep. And I think I particularly emailed you about that because I absolutely love that book, as you know. But the old cover was just really bad. And your new cover. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, I think it's like you said, it was something out of a decade ago when the covers were you know, less professional. And then the cover that you now have on the deep, I think you've still got it with the boat reflecting with the skull. I just love that cover. It's amazing. (laughs) Now, what's so interesting with your covers is that you learn to do this yourself, which generally is not recommended, right, for authors. But you seem to, I mean, did you just learn how to do these incredible covers? Or were you already sort of visually interested? Because I think what your change has been humongous in that area. (laughs) Well, I'm glad I'm getting better. That's for certain. Because you were one of the first people you said very nicely, but like one of the big problems, your covers are terrible. I was able to channel that self-esteem in a practical fashion, which is to look at my work and go, it sucks and I'm terrible. And then to channel my narcissism to go, but I can do it. And part of that rebranding or restarting I spent two months taking every online Photoshop class I could afford and could find. And so I just spent hours and hours locked in my bedroom with my computer open with barely enough processing power to do it and just practicing. And I'm not a visually adept person. I'm fond of saying my stick figures look like they were drawn by other stick figures who were drunk. And so a lot of the cover work was just that didn't work that didn't work, that didn't work. And to date, even a lot of my covers I look at and go, well, it's full of things that don't not work. 
it's not that I look at it and go, this is a masterpiece, but I go, this style functioned for another book in the genre, or it worked for one of my other books. I try not to be repetitive with the covers, but they all have to have sort of a similar feel that identifies them as a Michael Brent Collings book. And luckily I did have a style that developed simply because I like the look of it myself and it's easy to repeat. So I'm not this uber expert. I am someone who hates himself to a level that makes it easy to go, no, that's no good. And that's a necessary part of getting better. Well, maybe not that extreme, but there are, <laughs> no. you know, I think having some healthy skepticism around one's ability, but I don't do my own covers and it's not something that I'm willing actually to upskill on. <laughs> but how many books do you have now? Because I feel like that was part of it. Because if you've got that many, how many books do you have? Around 40. I honestly don't know. I'd have to go count. Yeah. So that's the thing. When you've got so many books, you're then looking at the investment of time and learning a new skill versus hiring someone to recover a lot of your backlist. And if anybody's not in my situation, man, hire somebody. And part of it, like I said, it had tanked and I had these health issues. And so I couldn't afford to. I didn't have the 300 bucks in my pocket. It was like, I could take that, but then my kids would be eating rice for the rest of the month and I wasn't willing for that. So that's the sweat equity moment comes in. And I had the time, not that I had extra time, but I went, this is important. And again, it's sort of like if you've got a decent job, but you're like, if I have to go to school to make extra money to get a master's degree or a PhD to get ahead, then people do that all the time. So I was working this for real. It was a pizza job. And I'm not ashamed of that because I fed my family with that money. And at the same time, I was going, I don't want to do this forever. So what classes, what grad program can I enroll myself in a self-designed one and fix these problems? Mm. And the other thing you mentioned, you said that your marketing worked like six years ago or something like that. So what were you doing that stopped working? A lot of it was just low maintenance stuff. I mean, it really was. I was not like one of the first people in Kindle. and. I was up there in the early-ish days and there was so much less competition that you got a lot more word of mouth involved. And it wasn't like I had a fan base, but I could reach out to people, bloggers and things like that, because they were new too and say, can you look at this? And they would, because there was a dearth of opportunity for them. When the book blogging situation all kind of started, Random House and Dell and Penguin and all the places that are no longer around, they didn't come knocking at these bloggers' doors. So I could go to them and say, I've got a book. And they'd say, I'll take it because they needed books. So it was like that. I did a lot of BookBub stuff. And I still love BookBub. But even that, the return on investment sort of started to drop off as the market became more saturated. And so now I have a much more comprehensive marketing plan that doesn't rely on one or two things. There are bigger parts of it, but there's two dozen things happening at any one time that hopefully will keep my eggs from dropping out of a single basket. So, and we'll come back to the marketing in a minute, just back on the books themselves. I've read a number of your books and that they are excellent. And then you change the covers. Did you have to update any other metadata on the book? So did you redo categories? Did you redo keywords? Like, did you actually go through or the blurbs even? Did you go through and do all of that at the same time? This is a big amount of work. Yeah. And yes and no. I mean, I've updated almost all of my old work 
but I didn't do it all at once. And most people don't have 30 or 40 books they're dealing with, but they do have an outside job and they do have family responsibilities or church or charities or whatever people are interested in. And don't give those up. If you're going to be a writer, one of the best ways to be a writer is to live a life and to have an enjoyment of being around other people because you'll want to share naturally and it'll keep you going. So I updated them over time and that actually helped a lot because my fan base was growing and I was able to say, hey, I just redid the cover for the ride along and I put it up on my Facebook fan page. What do you guys think? And I got input and then I listened to it. So it was like, move the lettering around. That's a great idea. The book that's coming out August 18th is called The Forest. And I went through three or four iterations that were all pretty close, but I got very helpful input from my fans and that made them more appreciative. So every time I do an update, and I'm still updating, some of them have been through two or three iterations since I rebranded or restarted. And every time I put it up on online and say, what do you guys think? And so that has been part of my marketing process. And it makes it a much more natural and an easy thing because I can do it to take a break. I'm like, I'm tired of putting words on a page. So I'm going to do some cover work. I'll share it with my fans. Same with uh, metadata with the descriptions. It's all been updated. And now there's a much more, if you look at most of the descriptions, they have a much more, again, kind of a voice to them that is similar from book to book. And that's, I found stuff that worked over time. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I have done all of that, but doing it all at once is a monumental task. And I wouldn't do that given the chance. I mean, just parse it out. This is a marathon. That's the nature of the business. Mm, absolutely. I'm just redoing a trilogy. And obviously, it's easier with series. But this is another thing because you write in horror and most of your books are standalone, aren't they? Yeah, I'm getting a little more into series work just because I wrote a book called Strangers seven years ago. And then I had an idea and realized it was the sequel. So I put it out and I was like, Man, I've never done series really. I've done a couple, but they've never been big hitters. The exception being the Colony Saga, which was a big seller. And that's a zombie series, but that's sort of seen its day. So I put out the second book, kind of, let's see if I can make it work. And the response has been tremendous. So there's, again, I'm putting food on the table. So I immediately went, where's the third book going to come from? And I think I'll be hanging out with that series. That's called the Stranger series. And I'll probably do a standalone and then a stranger book and a standalone and a stranger book. And I'll do that as long as people are interested in reading those stories. That's great. And I got to say on the zombie thing, the zombies will be back. Oh, yeah. They, <laughs> they never, never quite die, away. right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they are the undead. I go through phases of reading zombie books, like Jonathan Mabry's series, oh, Rotten Ruin series. So fun. Oh, I love it. And he's just got another one out on that next month or something. And then yeah. I'll be like, oh, we'll be back into a zombie phase, you know? Yeah. That's the thing too, that it's good for your authors and listeners to know for Joanna Penn and for me, for sure. But I suspect for you, it's like, I'm not really getting into zombie fiction, but just because the market's oversaturated, if I find a good one, I'm not going to go, oh, zombies were yesterday. So I'm not going to read this Mayberry title because I know Jonathan. I like Jonathan. So that certainly helps. But beyond that, he's a darn fine writer. And so if he writes a zombie book, I'll probably go, I'll pick that up. So just because you have a story that fits into a dead genre, as indies, we are not so beholden to the trends. And if I have a rad zombie story that I can push, I'll push it. And you don't have to worry quite so much about that. 
Mm, and I want to write a zombie book one day, but it's one of those sort of genres, subgenres of horror where <laughs> you can't just do the same thing. Like you have to yeah. have something original. So in my mind, at some point, I'll do my zombie book, but I haven't got one yet. One day, one nice. of these days. <laughs> coming back to marketing. So you mentioned a comprehensive marketing plan. Obviously, we're not going to go through all of that. But one of the things you did say was about the email list. So <laughs> how did you start growing your email list again? And how are you using that? So I've grown it in a number of ways. One is Facebook ads and online ads of that sort. Facebook, I've gotten a real kind of system down that seems to be working quite well. And whenever I feel like culling my email list and adding new people, I can use that as sort of a backdrop that it's there all the time. I'm always putting people on that way. There's a lot of organic entries. I'm getting more people signing up daily on my newsletter than I used to get in six months, like a couple mm. of years ago. And that's really nice. And part of what I'm doing, the other part, as far as not just trying to grow it, but the people that I have, I'm giving stuff to them. So it's not that I'm emailing them and saying, here's a new book out. I'm emailing them and saying, I've got all these lists of free and 99 cent and Kindle Unlimited books for you. Check these out. And I do giveaways all the time. I think I've given away four or five Kindles in the last month, something like that. And every time I do a book launch, I get proof copies and I order a limited number of them and I number them and sign them in beautiful gold ink across the front. And I'm like, these are collector's items because frankly, proof items or proof books have screw ups. And so <laughs> these are going to be, you know, messy, irregular copies. If you buy irregular clothing, you're kind of ghetto. If you have an irregular book, it's a treasure. You know, it's that buffalo penny without fourth leg on the buffalo. And so people really like that. So what I'm doing is I'm sending a weekly and sometimes more often email to people. And I do not offer as the main thing a Michael Brandt related thing. I do my best to offer them something for them. And then at the bottom, I'll say, oh, and by the way, my books have been on sale since the beginning of coronavirus. And I've put all of them, almost all of them on Kindle Unlimited with lending enabled so that people who are hard up for entertainment, hard up for money can get them. And here's the links. Even that's a very service-oriented thing because when my wife and I started that, we figured we'd take a real big monetary hit and do it for a week or two. And so many people were helped by it. We've kept it going for five and a half, six months now. So the things in my newsletter are very much geared towards not selling my books, but helping these people out. And as a result, they love me because I'm helping them. And I'm so appreciative of that. And I think that shows too. I'm not just using these people. So many of them are my friends. It's actually hard to keep up with all of them now because they email and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're having surgery. That sucks. Oh, you have a new baby. Congratulations. You know, <laughs> And I love that. They're great people. And treating them that way, I think even if you're not interacting with 30,000 people personally, the ones you're not interacting with personally feel a genuine appreciation. Mm. And this is where there can be an issue, though. And I have seen on Facebook that you mentioned I am starting to spend quite a lot of time yeah. <laughs> interacting with people. And this is something that is a difficult balance because yeah. if you keep going the way you're going, you will have to spend 10 hours a day doing stuff like that. Well, first, I know everyone's thinking, are you still writing books or are you just marketing books? So how are you balancing your time now? And how are you going to continue to scale without just spending all your time engaging? Yeah. Well, as far as how I balance my time now, it's generally a 50-50 split as far as I will spend half my time 
marketing, responding to emails. I spend probably three hours a day now, maybe four, responding to emails and messages that are from fans primarily, and then the rest are business stuff. And I know that's a hugely good problem to have. And I don't want to be like that ball player who's going, oh, I'm getting paid $100 million a year and it's just not fun anymore. You know, like that's so ridiculous. So I'm aware this is a really good thing, but it is draining because I want to attend to each of these people. They are my friends and they are the people putting food in my kids' mouths. So I love them. And so day to day, it's 50-50. When it ramps up into book time, When I'm writing, it's much more writing oriented. I'll do a lot less marketing. Now, I mean, I haven't done any writing for the last couple of weeks. It's all been marketing stuff. And then when the new books hits on the 18th, it'll be marketing for another couple of weeks. And then I'll ramp into the next stranger book. And so there's probably a 50-50 split right now. And it is hard to manage. I'm not going to lie. It's hard to keep straight. I had five alarms go off today to remind me I had this interview. And you're one of my favorite people. And so you would think that I would remember it, but I'm just so crammed full of stuff right now. Every time the flipping alarm went off, I went, oh my gosh, that's today. (laughs) And it gets very easy to lose yourself. So as far as scaling, I'm hiring an assistant. I've hired someone part-time. I'm going to be outsourcing some of the work. I even was doing all the upkeep and the maintenance on my website, which I really enjoyed. I have a friend who is a very high-level web designer, and I finally called and said, hey, how much to put you on retainer? Because as much as I enjoy it, that's not putting the food in my kids' mouths and affording me and my wife our Netflix hour together kind of thing. So I can't do it. And you do have to make those decisions. It's a good problem to have. I'm not going to lie at all. I much prefer this problem to, I hope I can get the next pizza in 30 minutes or less, or I won't get as good of a tip. But it is a real thing and you do have to start shopping out more and more stuff so that you don't lose yourself. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's like you cannot step up a level until you start outsourcing. It's impossible for one person to do all of this at a level where when you've got as many books as you have and you're building a bigger business, like bigger businesses need help. But it's very difficult to get over that mindset shift, isn't it? As a, certainly as an independent creator to go from, I can do everything the best Mm -hmm. (laughs) to, I need to hire someone. Like what was there just a tipping point of, I don't have any time. Yeah. And, and that's what it came down to. And it wasn't just time, but you kind of look at when you kind of get the whole thing settled where I am a business, you start making easier decisions based on money. So three, four, five, six years ago, even when I was doing okay, I would get something in my attention that was like, this is a hundred dollars. It'll help your business. And I wouldn't do it because why should I spend a hundred dollars? And now I get something in my business as an opportunity and it says it's a hundred dollars and I look at it and go, it will take me one hour and it'll return $200. So I'll make a hundred bucks for that hour. That's a good expenditure. And the hundred dollars goes out without a second thought. On the other hand, like yesterday I sat in the garage. This is indie life for you. Um, I'm shooting this commercial and I looked at lighting that I needed because I I have pretty good lighting, but I didn't have appropriate for what I wanted for this particular thing. And which is we're going to shoot a game show that's all about my new book and and it's going to be lots of fun, but I had a green screen and I needed better lighting and I looked online and I'm like, I don't feel like spending 
$3,000 on a light. So can I go make something like that? And I did. And that was a heap of fun. And I could validate a day's work because I was saving myself five grand because I needed two of these lights. And, and that was a lot of fun. And it made sense on a financial setting kind of way. Now, Stephen King, he's not going to go, maybe I'll go out and make my own set of lights and green screen setup. And my because, own video. <laughs> yeah. Other people are going to do that for him. And if he's going to be a piece in it, like I'm going to be an actor, I do all these little commercials whenever I have a book come out and I'm one of the actors and Stephen King might show up on set and they go stand there and make a face and he does and he walks off because he's got a whole support system. And if I'm that big, you can bet that I will not be in my garage putting together two by fours to hold lights together. You know, <laughs> um, But right now I can, and I like it. And that's a real gift and a pleasure and I'll enjoy it until such time as I can't afford to do that. Mm. And you're actually really creative with your marketing, like you said there, and you're enjoying the video stuff and, and you're funny, like you're a funny guy. And I admire how much you share like that because I'm just useless at that I just no. I don't want I don't want to chat like I don't want to chat I'm not a Facebook person which is why I uh, you know I'm kind of in awe of how you do it but equally I don't want to do that in fact I had yeah. some ads uh, I put some ads up you know after we spoke and and I got some comments that just well I got some really nice comments and then I got a you know it's a very angry time in the world right now and yeah. I got some comments on the Facebook ads that just kind of physically hit me uh, mm -hmm. like I, you know you feel that, that kind of squeeze in your chest like oh I, I just don't that's just broken me for today and I just can't yeah. see that so I just decided well I can't do that then I can't do that to myself for now I might go back to it but I decided well maybe my criteria has to be I will do advertising where people can't leave comments <laughs> So that's, that's that has awesome. become yeah that has become a criteria for my marketing and partly that's what we need to do isn't it we need to put in constraints like you've put in a constraint which is I'm going to pay someone to do my website yeah and I'm not going to do it myself and I've put this constraint in so what are some of the other ways that you are marketing or some of the things you're not doing because they just don't fit so you mentioned book bloggers for example are book bloggers completely gone from any form of marketing now you know they they call themselves book reviewers now it's the same thing but they're you know it's a big site that's dedicated to stuff they read and I just spent last two weeks emailing these people. I have a spreadsheet of like 400 book bloggers that work in horror and another couple hundred in romance because I do that occasionally and another couple hundred in sci-fi. And so I reach out to those people constantly. And it's nice because at this point I do have a system so I can, if it's someone I've never worked with, I have a form and I send it and, you know, it's like, here's why I'm a badass and you should read this book. And everybody that I have talked to, they get a personalized email that is that have reviewed me. That's a really big marketing tip, by the way, for especially for new authors. Book reviewers and book reviews are not your right. They are a privilege. And you have to treat them that way and you have to treat them with appreciation. I have been very lucky. I've been picked up for review by Publishers Weekly numerous times, not paying them, just they're aware of me. And so they've started picking up my books. Their first review of one of my books was totally 180 from any review I'd ever heard. And it was not a good review. That is, they were not happy with it. And the only thing I did was I wrote a letter, you know, to the general editor and I said, please pass this on if you deem it appropriate. Thank you to your reviewer 
for spending the time, for spending the care. Their review was thoughtful. Whether I agreed, and I didn't say this, whether I agreed with it or not, that was something they did for me. They allowed me to take up space in their mental real estate, which is so limited these days. And I have nothing but appreciation for that. And as a result, even book bloggers or book reviewers that maybe haven't liked one of my books, they're like, please send me your next one just because you're not an a-hole, you know, and, and you don't yell and scream if I don't give you a five-star review. And that's really nice. I'd like to be able to give someone, someone a review and know that they're not going to yell at me if they don't get the outcome they, they wish. And so, yeah, I have a lot of interaction with book reviewers and they're fantastic. Very few of them are sitting there being like, how can I destroy a writer's soul today? You know, there's just not that many of those. And the more you treat them like they're human and like they're friends that you can make, the more that's going to turn out to be the case. I actually dedicated The Forest to two of my very earliest professional reviewers who are my very good friends now. In fact, when I said I need to scale back a little on what I'm doing, one of them was like, can I do any of your emails for you? You know, can I call through the lists? I'd be happy to send packages. And she's got her own life. Just we're such good friends. She was like, let me help out. Oh, well, that, that's because you're, you're a real person. I think that's like, obviously you're a real person, but I mean, you are a real person <laughs> in your, in your communication. Like, I don't feel like you put any barrier between what you talk about with your fans. It's not like you go, they are a fan. Therefore I can't say this, uh, yeah. you know, you're respectful obviously, but you're also personal, which I think is important if we open up to our readers i mean they're already inside our heads like anyone who's read you know i feel like i know you in a way because i've been inside so many of your books like i feel right. like i know a part of your brain that even i well i feel with my fiction too people who read our fiction know us in a way better than some of our family like who haven't been inside that part of our brain <laughs> yeah oh totally <laughs> Yeah. It's like a, we a weird thing, right? And that's where our readers are. Like the readers who love our books, they know us really pretty well. Even though yeah. we think we're being separate, they actually know they can read through our fiction into ourselves. Does that make sense? Yeah, oh, totally. In fact, you know what? I'm playing a video game and I won't name it, but I like video games in my off hours. And some of them are just stunning examples of stories. So I can actually feel really good playing it because I'm picking up story stuff. So I'm playing this major video game that's been released not too long ago. And as I'm playing it, I'm going, I feel like this author uh, who wrote all the story for it hates people, just hates the universe and is somebody <laughs> that I would not like to hang out with on my off time. And I'm going to finish playing it because frankly, I've invested too much time to not see how it ends and see if I'm really angry because I'm right about it. But you definitely get that sense with people. And, and that's one of the reasons I tell people to stay involved in their outside lives because you don't become a hermit because you continue finding out what miracles people are. And that does shine through in your writing. And that's not to say it's all happy. I mean, some of my books have very unhappy endings, but hopefully you don't get a sense where at any point where I'm writing out code for, I hate you all. I wish you would die by the book first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. Well, one last question on marketing. Um, it Paid advertising is a huge part of most authors' lives right now. And I, I dare yeah. say you weren't doing that much of it when before. Um, right. But what are you doing now? You mentioned Facebook. Um, what else are you doing? 
I'm doing Facebook primarily. And again, that's just because I, like you, it's a niche that I found works for me. And I get those comments too. And they are gut punches. And some of the hardest ones are like where they comment on a problem with your book and you feel like writing back and going, you're right. I'm sure you're 15 living in your mom's house. And I'm only a professional who's been doing this for 10 years. Thanks for pointing that out. I missed it. You know, it's like you get really snarky in your head and it's, and it's hard not to respond to those. So I totally sympathize with anybody who's frustrated or who just chooses not to do it. That said, the ads I'm running get a terrific return on investment. I do Amazon ads and the Amazon ads, I've noticed an interesting thing, which is I don't necessarily get a great return on investment on them, but when I turn them off, my Amazon income dips to a much greater level than one would expect. So say I'm making a, I don't know, a 5% return on investment with my ad. If I turn it off for that book, I will take a 10% dip. And I suspect, you know, don't quote me on this and I I don't want Amazon to be mad or anything, but they've got algorithms that are very complicated. A huge part of it is devoted to the user experience because that's how they get money. And everything left over that's not user experience is not towards authors, it's towards getting money. And so I have a suspicion that part of their algorithm that determines if they're going to push a book or not is whether the author is investing in them. So I make sure to spend quite a decent amount of Amazon money every month. I spend thousands of dollars on Facebook. I do do BookBub ads and I spend a lot just maintaining the mailing list. I mean, you get to a certain point and it's like the mailing list monthly cost at this point is more than my entire marketing budget for 2011 kind of thing. (laughs) But again, that's a good problem. And it is weird because when I started, I was getting 10,000% return investment on every dollar I spent. But the question becomes, do you want 10,000% return investment on $1? Or do you want a 10% return investment on a quarter of a million dollars? And if you do the math, the quarter of a million makes more sense. It is not a good idea to just jump into Facebook or Amazon and say, I'm spending 20,000 this month because you're going to lose your shirt. There is definitely a building process. And basically so far in the last couple of years, every eight to 10 months, I have essentially doubled my marketing budget. And each time the return on investment goes down slightly. So my first time it went from 10,000% down to 100%. And then it went down to 95% and 90%. But it's still an amazing ROI. And I still continue scaling up. And that puts, again, more money in my pocket that I can invest in stuff that most matters to me, which is family and, and being able to give back. One of the wonderful things about doing the giveaways, I mean, I spend hundreds of dollars a month on these things. And I love doing it because it feels good to give stuff to people who have given so much to me. Mm. And on a marketing angle, you're building your brand and, you know, loyal fans. Yeah. Yeah, There's that as well. (laughs) Yeah. No, well, listen, I tell people there's nothing wrong with getting something. I mean, a good relationship is where you both value each other equally. And if you have a good nodding relationship with the guy at the store and he has a good nodding relationship with you, that's fantastic. And I'm giving stuff to my audience and they're giving stuff to me. One of my best friends my whole life was a guy that punched me in the stomach the first day we met. We did not get along. And then two years later, it was in high school and I was really scrawny. And I called him up and I said, Chad, 
I know we don't like each other that much, but you are sculpted. Like you are a big yoked muscular guy and you actually have girls looking at you, which I don't teach me. And we went to the gym and by the end of the week, we had this relationship that was centered on working out and we were best friends and we each got something from each other. You know, I started tutoring him in Spanish because the dude couldn't remember how to say fork in Spanish to save his life. And so it was a mutual receipt relationship. It was a win-win and that's great. So I really like my fans. I really enjoy being with them and interacting with them. And that is a win for me. They pay for my books. That's a win for me. And in return, I hope I provide them entertainment and a smile. And like I did an isolation journal on my Facebook page that was nothing but a couple sentences every day of a person isolated devolving into radical madness. Like I was convinced the coat rack was trying to kill me. I ended up in a different dimension where someone had replaced all of my family with exact duplicates. And I got constant emails saying, thank you. I just, everything's so hard. I needed to smile and I can always look at your page and smile. And Mm -hmm. so I want to give them that. They want to give me back their appreciation in various different ways and it works and I'm grateful for it. And I hope they are too. Mm, well, I, I read your lockdown journal thing. So <laughs> <That's very cool. laughs> um, So last question, because this is the thing. I mean, we, we both hit this kind of moment in our author lives at different points, obviously, but we want to keep going with this, right? So yeah. the likelihood of things changing, well, it's like 100%, everything's changing all the time. So yeah. how how are you making sure like what processes are you putting in place or checking in things are you doing so that the same thing doesn't happen again? Part of it is just being more aware, I think. So, you know, if I hear a word that I don't understand that is in a marketing blog, I follow that. So I got an email from a publishing company saying, we'd like to publish your book. And it's a book that's already published. So usually when I get an email like that, it's from a publisher who's like, hey, can you turn us over the rights and we will screw you to the wall. And my polite reaction is usually no thank you, but I always look at them. And this was something I'd never heard of. And I looked into it. And it turns out it's like a $37 billion company in Korea. So it very much changed my tone towards them, obviously. And I actually had to say no, because I can't give up the rights to this book. But I said, there's other things. Let's continue talking. And it opened my eyes to this whole kind of industry that's very big overseas in Asia, especially of really short chapters that people read on their phone and they pay by the chapter. So if you like chapter one, you pay five cents for chapter two or whatever it is. And I was like, that's the coolest thing ever. And you can bet that's on my radar. And so every time I see a friend who's on a book review site, I check it out. Every time I see, I get lots of marketing stuff on my Facebook feed because of, you know, Facebook being creepy and knowing everything (laughs) about me. And I click most of them. And I don't have necessarily an intention to enroll in that course, but I don't know, two or three times out of 10, I find out something I didn't know. Maybe I'm not taking the course, but gosh, I didn't even know that was a thing. And that'll be on my radar for the future. So I've definitely developed sort of more of a business awareness and a constant curiosity. And it's worked out because I know you're really big into taking care of yourself as an author. And it makes it a heck of a lot easier for me to validate an hour of workout a day if I can say I am listening to podcasts or watching YouTube videos while I, you know, trudge along on the elliptical. 
And that's helping my business. So this is part of my work day now. And it's impacted my health because of that. So the more I'm aware of those things, the more it actually helps not just my business, but my state of mind, my curiosity, my physical level, it all improves. Mm, that's great. And yeah, being kind of endlessly curious and improving incrementally, these are the things. And, yeah. and and I guess also not taking your eye off the ball, like I definitely did that in favor of other things. You know, my overall income was going up. It's just the percentage that was fiction was going down. And, and I, I, I'm really grateful for your help. And yeah, you're just fantastic, Michael Brent. <laughs> so I really appreciate uh, everything you do. And I love your fiction. So I really oh. encourage people to check you out. Where can they find you and everything you do online? The easiest way to find me is just Google the name Michael Brent. It's all one word because my parents hated me. And I'm the only Michael Brent in the world. So that'll bring up everything. And you can go to Amazon and do the same thing. I have a website called writteninsomnia.com written insomnia books that will keep you up all night. Again, it's in flux because I'm in the process of changing stuff up. So it is super slow and terrible right now. I have a Facebook fan page. Again, just write my first name in and I'm going to pop up. Uh, Twitter, you can follow me. You can follow me on BookBub. I am eminently easy to find, which I'm very grateful for. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time, Michael Brent. That was great. Thank you. So I hope you found the interview with Michael Brent useful and that it gave you some ideas for boosting your author career, wherever you are on the journey. And I will update you on my own fiction reboot in my annual roundup at the end of the year, as these things take time to grow. And as ever, please tweet me at The Creative Pen or leave a comment and let me know what you think of the episode or your tips for rebooting your author career. So next week, we're talking about how to write narrative nonfiction with Matt Hongoltz Hetling which is a fascinating chat about the type of story that just happens to be true. <laughs> so happy writing, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time. <laughs>